Welcome to Cybercast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Kate Macri. On today's episode, we're going to hear about the cybersecurity workforce shortage and the role mentorship plays in retaining key cyber talent. According to industry estimates, cyber attacks skyrocketed upwards of 200% since 2019. The National Institute of Standards and Technology estimates there are more than half a million unfilled cyber jobs across public and private sectors. Not only that, but the federal cyber workforce has shrunk since 2016, and only 25% of government cyber workers are women, according to congressional testimony from the Department of Homeland Security. CISA Director Jed Easterly said she wants that number to double by 2030. Joining me on Cybercast today to discuss this issue is Candace Frost, commander of the Joint Intelligence Operations Center at U.S. Cyber Command. She's got her own unique perspective on the cyber workforce shortage and how federal agencies can get more women into those roles. She also has some advice for women who may have decided they want to pursue a cyber or national security career, even if they've already begun a career or have an established career in a different field. So I want to jump into the conversation today with Candice. Candice, thank you so much for joining us on Cybercast. Thanks for having me, Kate. I appreciate it. So to start off the conversation, I wanted to ask for your perspective on a recent quote from CISA Director Jen Easterly. She said only 25% of the cyber workforce are women, and she wants to double that number by 2030. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that, given your passion for mentoring women in cyber and national security and providing that leadership role for women in the field to look up to. Well, Kate, thanks for that great question. And, and I'd like to start off with there, there isn't one magic formula that's going to work to bring more women into this field. I think starting in different layers and different tiers, and I'll start off with where I'd love to start is in that elementary, middle, high school level, just getting women engaged and understanding how much fun this field is, um, what opportunities there are in national security. And it's and it's not just that the heavy mathematics and engineering, whereas they're incredibly important and critical, you know, STEAM is a great way to kind of introduce what we do to so many more people across the nation and why we have opportunities. I would say some nonprofits I'd love to promote are Girl Security is one of them um, that goes into high schools and really tries to get people from all sorts of different backgrounds interested in national security. There are hundreds of nonprofit national um, security-focused and cybersecurity-driven organizations, whether it's the public and private sector, that kind of band together to build this next generation that will end up really being critical and crucial to our workforce. So that's kind of in the, in the lower levels. I would say in college and those who are exploring their first step into this field, I would definitely talk to a lot of them to encourage, and especially I do this with women, reaching out to others, whether it's on campus, um, looking for some kind of any professor or networking opportunities where you can talk to them, someone who has real world experience in this field and asking them who they should contact, who they should look forward to. 
so what I see quite often is, is people will kind of set a very high bar in either the intelligence community or national security community and realizing there are so many entry level jobs out there that people just really aren't acknowledging and understanding that will take you and stair step you up to some of those higher level positions or, or most desired agencies. So the strategy that I have is really look broadly and try to work a job outside of your comfort zone, an entry-level position. If you are meeting every single requirement, you're, you're probably overqualified. So looking for those jobs that are a bit of a stretch, that's, that's a great starting point for you kind of walking into this field. And lastly, I would say another big push that I've had to promote women in this field is really the retention side of the house. We do have a large number of women that walk into national security and cybersecurity and really enjoy it. But I lay this kind of on the leaders out there and companies that, that hire this great new talent. You've got to make sure you are inclusive and making people feel welcome and understanding policies that will help you retain that top talent, whether it comes to uh, the critical years of kind of seven to 12 years in the workforce. Obviously, that coincides also with a lot of women starting families. And what are you doing to making that a welcoming environment? If you can crack that nut, and there are so many great agencies, organizations, and businesses that do that, you've got someone that's working for you for the long haul, and they're very dedicated. So those are some of the strategies that, that I really look at to not only encourage women to get into this field, but also business owners and executives to look across their ecosystem and to figure out how do I make this um, a more welcoming environment and how do I keep that great talented workforce? Sure, you mentioned the seven to 12 year mark in a woman's career being particularly important. Could you expound on that a little bit? I don't think I've heard that before. So when, when I worked in human resources for the army, we did kind of a longitudinal study of where those points are where we start to see a, a larger number of women leave uh, the armed forces. And uh, it really coincides with, you know, it, it coincides with when women start families and whether or not they can maintain that great job that they have and also understand the, the real impacts that trying to find childcare and, um, and the, you know, the weight of having the entire family. I, I think we felt that quite ex <laughs> extremely with, uh, with COVID that just happened. How do you bring bring those women back and ensuring that it's a whole team effort. And uh, those organizations that do it well, that really did work well, both in, um, in office and out of office with respect to COVID did a great job of, of keeping those really talented workers. And then some didn't. And that's where I really push for kind of a return to work, a returnship policy. That would be fantastic for those in national security that want to bring back those great talented individuals that were either single parents or had to depart the workforce um, because of the strains that were put on them when, when pretty much the world fell, fell through and there was no way for childcare or schools to, to be able to take care of their kids and they had to do it. Bringing them back into the workforce, it's, just gonna, it's a great way to encourage that next generation and to welcome them back. Um, it may take time, but, but I highly emphasize Returnship is key to getting them back in, back into the flow. Sure. So before I move on to the next question, I had another follow-up question. It seems like 
getting women interested in national security early, you know, when they're in school or when they're, you know, still little kids in elementary school or, you know, middle school, high school is, is really important. But what about women who start in a different career of some sort, maybe because they were discouraged from pursuing national security careers or cyber careers or STEM careers in general, because they grew up in households that discouraged that kind of thing and wanted their daughters to be in more like traditional roles, I guess, that are considered for women. What kind of advice would you have for women who, you know, maybe are in that seven to 12 years into their career range and decided, oh, wait, I'm actually really interested in cyber national security. I would love to like shift over into that. What advice would you have for women who are interested in pursuing that and maybe don't know where to start or maybe don't know if they can actually even make such a big jump? No, Kate, that's a great question. And I think so often we look at at our life in a linear path, right? And we say we're just constantly walking upstairs. And really, that's not the way life goes. It's more like shoots and ladders. And so for women who are now either looking to pivot out of their current role, whether it's just not bringing them um, what they had expected or wanted in a field, or they're women that just want to change and try something different or to give back. Um, those who have had, I know someone who had a very high powered career in marketing in New York City, and she just said, you know, I, I really felt the pull towards national service. And she ended up coming um, into the intelligence community at her about 15 year mark in, in the workforce and moved in and ended up, you know, going and growing and getting into a senior executive role in, you know, in a decade or less. And so the opportunities are out there. I think the skill sets, people self-limit because they think in their mind's eye, this is what someone in national security looks like, talks like, walks like. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we are all part of this nation. At cybersecurity is national security. It's incredibly important. General Nakasone says that very often, the commander of Cyber Command. And mm -hmm. I totally agree with that point that there are so many different fields and vectors out there, even if you come and pivot for maybe just a half a decade um, into this world, it's incredibly fulfilling. I ask quite often a, a number of people that work with me that could triple their salary if they left um, government and went into the private sector, you know, why do you keep doing it? What, what's the pull? And so often many of them say it's the mission. It's the mission that they can't get anywhere else that is incredibly fulfilling. Money is important, but the mission really tops that. And that's something that I do see that national security brings to the table. And, um, and especially women that are willing to kind of maneuver around. There are so many different jobs across the entire country and even overseas uh, that are fun as well. That's another great part of the world that we're in. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. So switching gears a little bit, you've been passionate about mentoring women in cyber and national security careers. Can you discuss that a little bit and why you became so passionate about cyber and national security? I, I think... It really started when I went to the United States Military Academy for my undergrad. And, and I'll be honest, I had an amazing time at West Point. But I really thought, five and done, I'll, I'll do my mandatory service 
and and then I'll go find something else. And each time, you know, I enter into this space and I just feel like I'm drinking from the punch bowl of how, how great and fulfilling this career is. And so with that, oftentimes people would kind of, especially when I was younger, they would point me towards another woman to be a mentor. And, and I have really felt mentoring is absolutely important, but it's, it's a whole of effort. There, there aren't enough women in national security to mentor only women. And that's where I really love to call out to both men and women, who are you mentoring? How are you bringing up the next generation? Because it's our job to build the bench. We can take from the same pot, but the pot is not big enough for those, especially who have had military service This is a whole of government approach. And sadly, if you only go to your kind of bubble or your ecosystem, you're not breaking out and seeing what goodness you can bring from a true diverse array of Americans. And and I've been very fortunate to see that downrange when I was a company commander in combat is the strength of the team by mixing um, different experiences and different levels of understanding and knowledge. It made for a dynamic working force. And I see that in cybersecurity, especially. Um, There are amazing people that are in this field that come from, no kidding, understanding music, understanding foreign languages. They catch on and they grip into how to understand coding. Something that I think not most musicians would understand. Wow, that could be a career pivot for me. And so by introducing that and mentoring people outside of the field that um, I happen to be in right now, I've seen some great uh, entry level individuals end up becoming mid career, and now I'm to the point where some of them are even senior executives in the field, and it's it's been fascinating to see them go and grow. My passion comes from the fact that I really do hope that we can help grow this field and understand that we are all a collective part of our nation's security. Absolutely, and going back to what you said about mentorship and how there aren't enough women in national security to mentor, you know, all the women coming after them. I, I feel like that in some ways can be a hindrance to some women pursuing national security careers because they see there aren't that many women in like high up leadership roles. And so they think like, oh, this is going to be really hard if I try to pursue this. Like, I don't know if I can do this. And it's almost a chicken and egg problem, right? Because it's like, if, if they don't do it, then they won't be there to inspire the next generation of women. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a, I feel like that's a little tricky sometimes for, especially for younger women, like from a psychological standpoint, like getting over that barrier. I, I could see where, where that enters the mindset for some people. I, I would say, and I, I would challenge a little bit that even as, as I look from you know, what I have seen in, in my service over the last 30 years and the monumental changes I've seen in national security, where there were literally congressional mandates for jobs that I couldn't hold that were close to women. And now they're completely open and the opportunities are endless in both the military and national security as well. There there is a a huge growth in this field. And so even though you may not see the 50% mark or an equivalency to the reflection of what we have in our nation, I think it's a great opportunity for women to step forward and to start opening the door for other people Another great podcast to kind of um, listen to is Share the Mic in Cyber, where that nonprofit organization is really trying to introduce and bring others into this space. We as a community can do this together. And And I would say it is phenomenal to be in an organization and to really see those individuals who may have been self limiting. 
just start to open the door for them and, and to see them go and gain and grow into positions of authority and leadership. That's, that's the growth that I've seen. So although it might not be in the starting blocks, a, a true 50% population, I, I think we're moving in the right direction. And I think people are really excited about what opportunities are out there. And I want to show them that you can do this. You can uh, be a great mom. You can be a great leader. You can be a great spouse and do all of these things while also serving. Yeah, absolutely. That's so inspiring to hear. So given the current cyber climate, and this is, again, sorry, changing gears a little bit, how have challenges to intelligence collection evolved? And how are you addressing these challenges as head of the Joint Intelligence Operations Center at Cybercom? Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, I I have a phenomenal job as uh, the Joint Intelligence Operations Center Commander at the United States Cyber Command, where we look across the board at foreign threats to both our Department of Defense Information Network, uh, the whole of nation, to make sure that we keep our networks safe and protected from foreign threats, and then also making sure that we are very aware um, to move forward with respect to individual offensive operations um, overseas that, that are required to keep us safe here at home. I would say the challenges that, that have evolved quite, quite radically is with respect to the explosive um, growth of ransomware that we have seen over the, past, over the past years and the impact that that's had, not just on the financial networks, but also on the banking system, you've seen it on schools, and we've even seen it on nation states with respect to being held at ransom. That's one area that is incredibly important um, and that we have evolved to make sure that we are holistically looking at. We've had challenges with respect to what Russia has done in Ukraine and ensuring that we are working with them to keep their network safe, but also keeping our own network safe with respect to critical infrastructure in the United States. That's a big part, and that takes an almost whole of government approach. We, as a combatant command, are very outward focused towards enemy threats. Um, if you look internally, that's the job of the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, and um, the FBI and what they do as well, um, and Department of Homeland Security. All of them work together when we're really looking internal, and we are a very outward-facing organization to make sure we keep the nation save itself. Yeah, I want to pull on that thread a little bit. CISA is usually the go-to for critical infrastructure companies looking for cyber advice and guidance, but Cybercom does play a role here when federal agencies or private industry get hit with potentially nation-state-driven cyber attacks. Can you discuss that a little bit and maybe tell us a little bit about some of the most important strategies or lines of defense for critical infrastructure right now? I would say CISA has done a great job, and I know you've already mentioned uh, Director Easterly. She has really been forward-leaning with respect to the Shields Up campaign and what they have done to try and ensure to let agencies, organizations, um, they have been very vigilant in trying to pursue a means of communication to get the information out there that um, certain sectors, certain agencies and organizations, and especially businesses um, that are 
you know, in charge of or protecting our critical infrastructure understand what the threat vectors are. I would say that is a huge strategy that's taken, taken hold and it's really been great to see what they have done in trying to communicate, hey, the lines of defense that are needed and necessary. So much of that is we are seeing with respect to information sharing between agencies and organizations and pushing that information down to the lowest level possible. I've even seen it in the defense industrial base, sharing that information, and then making sure that um, small businesses understand and are aware of the threats that are, that are focused on them as well. It's not just these really big corporations. It's also medium and small businesses that are, that are being targeted. And with the work that they have done to try to make sure that their, um, their assistance and their information and understanding is passed out to others, it, it really is um, demonstrable to see how private and public partnerships are working together. So this is part of the Shields Up campaign, which you mentioned, and you touched on this a little bit, but many federal cyber leaders have been stressing the importance of information sharing given the accelerated rate of cyber attacks right now, particularly ransomware, because it can help federal cyber leaders get the right resources to the right people at the right time to prevent attacks from spreading, mitigate them as quickly as possible, et cetera. What do you see as the biggest challenges to information sharing with the right partners at the right time? And what do you think will drive success in this area, especially you know, given the fact that government has always struggled a little bit with you know, knowing what to share and when to share it? Yeah, I really think that's a that's a great question. There are just so many different answers to that. I, let me start with saying why information sharing is so important in ways that I've seen it go and grow. I think previously, maybe even a decade ago or even a half decade ago, so much of information sharing was almost uh, siloed and protected. We have started to realize that you know, we look at our, our foreign threats to, to our country and specifically to a lot of our industrial base, they have no problem with combining their government and uh, these are threat actors and the work that they do kind of focusing on all of our seams and gaps of, that we have tried to silo. With respect to understanding this, I, I think we have seen a convergence and understanding um, Cyber Solarium is a great example, and just looking forward to where are those areas that, that we've got to tear down those walls and work better together and, and communicate. Sharing information is important. You don't have to share everything, and I think that's where businesses are rightly, rightfully um, concerned about with respect to proprietary information. The good news is, as we as a government are, are asking to share information and work together, that part of it is something that, that's not necessarily the area we're looking to share information for. We're looking more so to share information on where they're seeing the threat vectors coming from, um, the impacts that they've had, and making sure that, to me, you, know, you don't make it shameful if your business is physically broken into, right? And if you had, let's say, a, a small business and a storefront, someone came in and robbed your store, you wouldn't shame the business for that, saying, well, you should have had you know, more security cameras or an armed guard on, on the outside. But we do this with respect to cybersecurity. And I think that's something that we have to understand. Um, when we name and shame companies and organizations, it, it has a negative effect 
of information coming forward to make us stronger. And so that is an area that I, I applaud um, many of the government agencies that are reaching out to businesses and not making so publicly aware of when cyber attacks have occurred, but also trying to help them um, and, and understanding why sharing the information, what's, what has happened it is important. Now I'm, I'm gonna switch and pivot as well. Um, cybersecurity, it's a tough job and it, there's an enormous amount of stress, especially on those who are just entering into the field because there's just so much out there to know and understand and learn. And then even when you get on platforms like LinkedIn and that is information sharing and we're trying to teach others, there, there's just so much shot at you with respect to have this certification, have an understanding of this network, of this coding. And, and to me, that's where the mentorship and even sponsorship is critical because in each business, there are areas you have to know that are really important to your business. And then having that really learning mindset. Are you constantly hungry to learn more about different areas? So starting small, and it's almost like concentric circles, trying to teach people that there is a, a way to go and grow and understanding larger and larger amounts of what's out there with respect to threats in this area. I, I just, again, would um, emphasize that you don't have to eat the elephant all in one bite. You just have to take um, small bites and in understanding what are threats to your business, what are threats to your portion of national security um, or what you can do in cybersecurity. And that's how you work together and you work as a team. Absolutely. So following up on that a little bit, the current cyber landscape has made lines of delineation and responsibility between different entities such as Cybercom, NSA, CISA, FBI, etc. very blurry, especially when you're trying to differentiate between say, you know, some average cyber criminal on the dark web and what could be a nation state sponsored cyber attack. How are you using your leadership role to drive positive change in this area? I, I think what we have done to, and I would say, you really have to understand, you know, what are the first priorities out there? And when we look mm -hmm. at the national defense strategy and even um, the information that, that's come most recently out of the White House, we've really seen cybersecurity listed at the top of that list with respect to where we should focus as a nation to ensure that our networks um, remain free of influence or impacts of, of other nation states or even um, non-state non threat actors. When I look at the focus that, that's out there, I consistently try to prioritize, and that's the job I would say of a lot of cybersecurity leaders, what's most important and putting that at the forefront, but you can't neglect you know, it's kind of like having a dinner, right? And, and whatever that main protein is, that main, you know, listed um, special on the menu, you still have to have the other sides and the accoutrements that come with a great meal. And so you can't just, you know, neglect or negate the fact that you probably need some kind of fruit or vegetable, I mean, a bread. And so, you know, as any good chef, they would balance the plate out. And that's what we have to do in cybersecurity is really balancing how we are looking at the, the main threat actor, 
um, towards our networks, and then the other ones that are also influencing and impacting those, and how you either put your priorities towards that mission, money, and um, workflow efforts. That, that's the constant balance that I've had to deal with in my world. Yeah, for sure. So I have one more question for you before we start to wrap things up. When it comes to Cybercom's outward-facing priorities, you've said China first, Russia always. Can you dig into that a little bit and discuss the specific cyber threats these two nation states are posing to the U.S. and our allied partners? Sure, I would say that that's kind of one of my tongue-in-cheek cliche things that, that uh -huh. I have said um, for, for my team that's out there to just remind them of the importance. Um, so not necessarily Cybercom's um, role. It's, it's really one of those um, bumper stickers that, that I like to emphasize with my team because sure. we've really got to understand um, the specific cyber threats that they, they really do pose. We have seen an enormous amount and of theft with respect from China and the work that they have done to get not only in the highest levels of national security uh, arenas and areas, especially in the defense industrial base, but even you know the second and third tier down companies and organizations, um, we have seen just an enormous amount of, of threat from China and that's um, of theft from China. And that's really important that we still understand this. There's a reason why good cyber hygiene is needed and protection. Russia always in the fact that and we know their dis and misinformation campaigns are, are still pretty strong, even though they are very focused right now in Ukraine and, and so much of their attention is on the, their, their near threat that they, they feel they are uh, focused on. It's really the near and abroad. And the abroad point is they are looking at the influence that we've had with respect to the sanctions that our country has placed and many other nations on Russia that has had a, an enormous impact on them. Um, but they, they're also, they have the potential to bite back. And that's why you can't negate the fact that even though Russia is very focused in, in one area uh, closest to them, there are still many other countries that they're influencing. And, um, and that has an impact on our national security as well. So although they're their bark is pretty loud. Um, their bite can be strong as well. And so we still have to pay attention to that without negating the fact that China is, um, has grown in an extreme way with their understanding and knowledge in, in cyber and what they have done with artificial intelligence and many of the other kind of tech areas that, that we have to pay attention to. And so many businesses out there do business with. And so just understanding the, the platform, the threats that are out there, it's, it's important not just for ourselves who work on national security every day, but making sure that we can kind of tell this story and talk to others about the impacts it has on their business as well. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about women in cyber, national security, and also what makes you so passionate about your job, what you do. Are there any parting words or comments that you would like to leave our listeners with based on what we've talked about today? Well, Kate, thanks for this opportunity, number one. I really appreciate the fact that we're not only highlighting, you know, how welcoming of a field this is and how growing. I, I oftentimes also say 
you know, there's a 0% unemployment rate in cybersecurity. We just can't hire enough people right now to fill the positions that we have. And so with that, that means there are growing opportunities out there for people all across the country. You don't necessarily have to live in the national capital region. You don't have to live in Washington, D.C. or Silicon Valley to understand the opportunities that are out there in cyber. And so that's a big push that I would say across the entire country, these are jobs that allow you to have a great ability to learn, grow in this field, and then start to move and pivot into different areas that you find most interesting. So be, be okay to step forward into the unknown. Um, sometimes you're just gonna have to be a little uncomfortable and, and that's a good part. Once you are uncomfortable, start to learn, understand the culture, the organization, and you really will find your footing in this great world of cybersecurity and specifically um, the even broader world of national security or the intelligence community as well. They're all very welcoming environments. Just take that plunge. Those are some great words to leave us with. Thank you so much, Candice. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Kate. Encouraging young girls' dreams is an important step to addressing gender disparity in STEM careers, but women with burgeoning or established careers in other fields can also make the switch to cybersecurity. As Candace said, careers are more like sheets and ladders rather than stairs. If someone can make the shift from music to national security, anyone can, and it's never too late. To get deep analysis and insider perspectives on what's trending in federal cybersecurity, subscribe to and follow Cybercast and visit our website at governmentciomedia.com. I'm your host, Kate Macri. Thank you for listening. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. 